All right. I have a lot to get through this morning and I feel like, I feel like I just need to pray. Not that I shouldn't normally, but I just feel like there's a lot and I, I feel a, a weight in my spirit to, to actually get this across. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, help me. God, help me to bring your word, how you have written it, how you have meant it to come across, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just ask anything that I say this morning that's not of you, may you let it fall away, Lord. But the things that you want to reveal to us this morning, may they be sown in our hearts and may they grow like wildfire in our lives. Jesus, I just ask this morning that you soften our hearts, soften our hearts to prepare the soil for your seeds to be sown here this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you. In your beautiful name we pray, amen. Before I start, I just want to give a little shout out to Terry Fitz, who's going to be listening. I love Terry Fitz. Terry, I love you, wherever you are. All right, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 1 says this. Actually, if you've got a Bible, let's go to Hebrews 11. We're going to stay there for a minute and then we're going to move on and then we'll come back. Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews, of whom we don't know really who it is. There's some speculation, but he will be known as the author for this morning's sermon. The author of Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews 11 verse 1. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance, something that's assured, it's bound to happen, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The author then of Hebrews then goes on to list a number of different heroes of the faith, a number of different Old Testament um, fathers and heroes and, and the exploits that they went on to. And when you read through the list that he outlines in Hebrews 11, you start to get a little bit challenged by the way, by the, the caliber of people that he was reading, that he, he lists out. As I was reading through it, I started to think, man, these guys are in a huge place. These guys are in a massive, uh, a, a massive time in history, a massive time where there's something powerful that's going to come through. You know, he goes through and he reads out people like Enoch, Noah, Abraham. They, they all conquered something spectacular in a season where something spectacular needed to, be, needed to happen. And you start reading that and start feeling a little bit small and insignificant because you look at these guys and you go, these guys are massive giants in the faith. But then you, you go back to the first line that he says, and he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And when you start breaking down each one of these heroes of faith, you start realizing they had very, very little to go with. You look at someone like Noah, he gets given the plans to build a ridiculously sized boat in a time where there was no water. And I start thinking, I would have done that for sure. And then you start looking back through and you start seeing everyone who was throwing shade on him, who was, who was causing him to want to stumble, was yelling at him, was telling him he was a goose. And you realize, wow, this journey of Noah was seemingly lonely. He was on his own. He was a fish trying to swim against a very strong stream. 
You start going through all of these characters in the scriptures, all of these people had so much to do and so little given to them in in way to see how it's going to happen, where we're going to go. In today's life, we want to know the plans. We want to. I'm like that. I want to know, like this afternoon, who, who are we having lunch with? What time is it going to be? Where do I have to be? I want to know that stuff so I can start thinking in my head. I can plan out tomorrow. Who, where am I going to be? We want to know all this stuff. What's your two-year plan, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan? And it starts to get us in a place where we want to know every step that we're going to take. And yet the author of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we cannot see. And God asks us to live by faith, to live by a position where you're never really going to see the end of the tunnel that I've called you to. So now we start drawing back, we start thinking back to when we get saved and we start thinking back of that guy who told us that it was going to be a real easy walk and our life was going to be real amazing and easy and we're going to get through this place and we start thinking, that's not what we see faith being explained as. We see faith as being an insurance of things that we cannot see. But as I started reading through this, there was one man that jumped to mind, one, one person that stood out in the list of heroes and that man was Gideon. So I want to speak this morning about Gideon and the life that Gideon held. So if, if you go into a Bible, jump to Judges 6. You don't need to find it, Kat, because I don't, I'm not really going to... Oh, I will. Yeah, okay, a little bit. Just a little bit. Judges 6, Gideon. So in Judges 6, we get to a place where we see two people. We see the Israelites and we see the Midianites and we see a people group being attacked and blundered at every turn. The Midianites are hiding in caves, are hiding in a place where they're waiting for the Israelites to have a little bit of fruit, to have a little bit of good stuff coming in from their crops. They're waiting for the Midianites to see some resolve, to see some good stuff. And then as soon as they start to see the good stuff, the Midianites swoop in and they steal everything that the Israelites have. So every little good step where they start feeling, yes, our ground's been been put together, we're starting to see some fruit. All of a sudden, the Midianites swoop in and they steal the fruit. And along this journey, I'm going to flick back between between the story in Judges and contemporarily right now how we see this unfolding. That 2020 has been a year where the Midianites have been hiding in the caves and every time we get a little bit of good fruit, they swing in and steal it. That every time we get something good, every time we get a good step forward, something swings in and robs it from us. This picture, as I was reading it, I started to feel a little bit like Israel in the midst of this. That God keeps asking us to do stuff. We keep putting our foot forward and something keeps stealing it away from us. We put our good foot forward, something steals it away from us. And there's this, almost like this frustration, this this holy unrest where we're saying, God, what are you doing? Where, where is, where is this this thing that keeps being prophesied? Where is this thing that keeps being said that this is going to be fixed, this is going to be changed? Where is this thing? I love Dave, Dave Barsh's preach a few, a few weeks ago because you could, I, I knew exactly where he was preaching from because I felt that too, almost like this, God, what are we doing? Why aren't, you, why aren't you smiting down the Midianites every time they come to steal our fruit? 
But then you read this story and you realize God has a different plan and pattern as to how he comes against the enemy that we don't quite understand. We don't, it doesn't go the way we think it should go. We see Gideon enter. Judges 6, about 3-ish down, halfway through. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read you through the story. If you want to go away and read it, that's great. I'm just going to keep giving you information and you can go and double-check me at the end. But we see Gideon enter. We see Gideon in a place that is very unusual. We see Gideon in a wine press with seed in the wine press and he's crushing out the seed. So what you have to remember is that in this time, the Israelites were in a position where the Midianites were stealing all of their food. So food was a very, very scarce commodity. It was something they didn't have much of. Everything that grew, they would swoop in and take it. So we see Gideon potentially later at night go and take a harvest as much as he could get. He brings it into the wine press. He hides it in the wine press and he starts to tread out. Now there's two dimensions to where Gideon is and I'll get to the second one later. But the first one is, is that God comes along and he calls Gideon and he uses this language Gideon, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. Now we read that story and we go, Gideon, the mighty man of valor, hiding from the Midianites with some some crop that he probably took at night, stole and hid it and put it in a place it shouldn't be. And in a secret, he's quietly treading out this grain. He's the man of valor, hiding from the Midianites. But God comes in, he see, God sees something that we don't see in the Scriptures. God sees a man and what he can achieve through his lens and the way that he sees us, not through our own worldly lens and the way that we see it. Sometimes I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror and I go, you are not a mighty man of valor. What are you doing? Because I'm looking at myself through my own worldly lens. I'm not looking at myself as the way the Father sees me. But Jesus, uh, sorry, God sees me through the lens of his Son. That when I get brought in, when I get saved and brought into salvation, I get put in to Christ. That when God looks at us, he's looking at his Son. So he sees us the way he sees Jesus. God looked at Midian the way he would have seen his Son. He looks at Gideon to say, I know who you can be. I know who you can be, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And when we stand in the mirror in the morning, when we're combing our hair, not for Mal, but when we're, <laughs> when, we're, when we're washing our face in the morning, a couple of the board fellas are looking at me like, hey, Ben, I don't uh, do the old comb. I do a comb in the morning, that's why. But when we stand in that place, when we're looking in the mirror, it's God's voice we want to hear about our life. For him to prophesy us into the place that we're supposed to be, not the place that we think we are. God is calling us out. He's pulling us in. He says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Valor meaning great courage in the face of danger. But it's so interesting that Gideon responds to him in the flesh. He responds to him in this way. Judges 6 verse 13. Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? God, if you're really here with me, if you're really in the midst, how is this happening? How are the Midianites stealing all that we have? How are they robbing us from the fruit? God, if you're really here, why haven't you done what you said you were going to do? I have felt like that 
in the last six months. God, you have prophesied and prophesied and prophesied. There's been word after word after word of this great exploit that's going to come to this house, to the Gold Coast, to this nation. There's this, this, this great level of prophecy. How can you say you're in our midst when this is still going on? That's the way Gideon felt. Where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. See, God uses the passion and the, and the fire in, 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 in Gideon's heart to say, Take that. See that anger? See that, that, that thing that's inside you, that frustration, that zeal to want to see the kingdom come? Take that and do exactly as I say, and I will put you in the places that will heal a nation. I will put you in front of the people that will heal a nation. Gideon then turns to him and says this, Please, Lord, please, how can I, how can I, Save Israel from the hand of Midian. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I will be with you. You know, when God has, has been calling us, when God first called Jess and I into leading this church, I had this moment. I've had this moment time and time and time and time again. Phone calls where I see the guy who's ringing me to ask me something and I stand there and go, God, how can I help this guy? But you see what that is, is me acting out of my flesh because I think that I'm going to do it in my own strength. That's what Gideon was doing. God, how can I do it? And God simply says, this is how you'll do it. You won't because I will be with you. It will be my strength, it will be my power. I will operate through you to see the Midianites get changed. See, we go to the base of massive mountains. We go, God, how am I to climb this? Jesus says, you won't. I will. I will. Gideon says to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. It is you who speak with me. Gideon again and again and again, he doesn't get it. He's speaking to the angel of the Lord. I don't have time to explain who the angel of the Lord is, but he's speaking to the angel of the Lord right there. And he calls him, says, come, Gideon. Gideon says, yeah, I'm ready. God, I'll come. I just got to see something. Give me something. Give me something. Give me something and I'll do what you need me to do. But the interesting thing is that, that God tells Gideon, wait for me. Wait for my move. Wait for my call. Wait for me to tell you where to stand. The moment you try to do it out of your own strength, you're going to fumble it. Wait for me and I will tell you where to go. I will give you all that you need. I will change what needs to be changed before you. In 6 verse 18, he says, God says to Gideon, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. God calls Gideon. He says, come with me. 
don't go anywhere. Do what I ask you to do. We'll do it in my strength, not yours. Gideon says, Lord, I need to see something more. He says, okay, wait for me. I'll go. I'll come back. When I come back, I'll give you the sign you asked for. See, God doesn't get upset with Gideon for Gideon to say, Lord, please let me know that it's you. Please reveal this one more time. He's not in a hurry. He doesn't run straight out the door and grab his sword and run out to the battlefield. He says, I need to know the next step. You've called me. That's good. But what's the next step? You've given me the one step. What's the next step? Judges 6, 22 to 24. Then Gideon perceived that he was, he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he, to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it still stands an offer which belongs to the Abyssalites. There was a time that God asked Gideon in that place, Gideon, bring what you have, bring the food that you have, and on the altar of of my sacrifice, I'm going to consume it with fire to show you that I have everything that you need. In the place, God asked Gideon to bring him out food. Why? Because that was the most scarce commodity that, that, that Gideon had in his possession. He says, come and bring me the thing that you need most and I'm going to set it ablaze. Why? Because you need me every step of the way. See, God does the same, Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament to the rich young ruler. It's not about money. It's not about saying you have to be poor. He says, what's the most important thing in your life? Bring it to the altar and I'll set it on fire because I'll show you that I'm the most important person that you need in your life. He did the same thing with Gideon. He asked Gideon, bring everything. Because if you will give me the thing that you need most, then I know you have to rely on me. I know you have to wait for me. It's in that place when he sees the fire, Gideon realizes, this is the angel of the Lord. This is the place that I was called into. At the end of our sacrifice, we start to realize, wow, this is what God's called me into. See, sometimes we don't want to let go. We don't want to sacrifice. In our pride, we don't want to let go of what God, we think God's given us, but God says, give me everything. Sacrifice, and I'll reveal who I am to you. Sacrifice is a challenging thing for us to understand. But we see all throughout the Old Testament and the New that when we live from a sacrificial place, God, my life is not my own. Paul, he says, my life is not my own. My life is yours. It's because at that place of sacrifice, God is able to move in us and through us because our pride of who we are doesn't get in the way. God's been doing that from the very beginning to bring us to a place where he says, now you've given over everything. I'll give you the I've been prophesying to you. I start to wonder if in this contemporary place we're in, in this this time, this season, this era that we're in, God is asking for a people to humbly give themselves in sacrifice to move on a people and a nation. That we go, well, why hasn't God moved? I start to wonder and think to myself, maybe we haven't got what Gideon got. We can't understand to go in and to get all the food that we've stored away to bring it out and to put it on the altar and say, God, there, I've got nothing left to give. And God says, now I can move on people. Now I can change a nation. 
in sacrifice, God is revealed to Gideon and then God asks him to do the first thing where he's going to need a little bit of that valor that was prophesied. In Judges 6, 25 to 26, the angel of the Lord tells him to do this. Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut down the Shriya that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Shriya that you shall cut down. Now you have to remember the Israelites living in a city where there is no... Um, there is no resources coming in. They don't have much food. They don't have much growing. There's not a whole lot, of, lot happening because everything's been removed. They are starting or have started for a generation to feel like God is no longer with them, that their God, Yahweh, is not the one true God. So they've shifted their affection to a, a, a little G God called Baal. They are, are, are worshipping a pagan God. Why Baal? Because Baal was known as the fertility deity. He was one of the most important gods in the Pantheon because he brought rain and dew, the two things that you need to create a crop, a, a crop to grow. He brought sustenance and provision to the people. So the Israelites are worshipping Yahweh. Things start to go sour. They don't get what they think they want. So they shift their affection. They shift their love off of the one true king onto a pagan god to say i will worship you because hopefully you'll bring the things that i need so they shifted their affections away from from yahweh onto a pagan god they're worshiping this pagan god not only that the city that they were in was filled with worship to Baal because he was the biggest pagan god in the era at the time so God now says to, me, says to Gideon when he calls him, Gideon, come, this man who's hiding away in the wine press, fearful of, of the Midianites. He says, come, I need you to do something. Okay, God, what's the first thing you want me to do? I want you to go into the place and I want you to rip down the biggest statue that the people in the city worship. I want you to tear it down. Now, Gideon, everybody in this city is going to hate you for it. Everybody in the city is going to want to kill you. Everybody is going to say that that's not the status quo. That's not the way we should go. You're going to have to swim well and truly against the stream. He's going to, I'm going to position you in a place where I'm going to need you to do something that could potentially get you killed. But remember, Gideon, you are a man of valor, of courage. So I start looking and I start thinking through the, the climate that we're in today and I start going, Lord, there are so many statues of Baal in our, in our societies today, in our city, in our homes, in our workplaces. There are so many statues. There's so much that we have to stand up and say, I've got to choose a side here and I don't want to worship the God of Baal. But God says, will you tear down that statue? Will you rip down that idol that's stopping people from worshipping me? And you know what happens? We start hearing the crowd chant louder and louder. And we start realizing, man, I'm going to be the real oddball out here if I stand up against this. But God says, will you be a Gideon? Will you be a man of valor in a time where the nation is hurting, in a time where people are turning away from Yahweh, in a time where there's no hope, where there's no direction? Will you stand in a place and be the man of Gideon and rip down the idols that are stopping people from worshiping me? When you're sitting in your little office with your door closed reading this verse, you're like, yeah, yeah, 
I will be that God. Yes. Yes, I will be the man of valor. Yes. Got worship music on. It's perfect in this moment. It's amazing. You feel the spirit. You feel God. It's so good. Yes. Lord, me. Yeah. I'll do it. And then you sit around a barbecue. And no one thinks the way you think. And all of a sudden, you're the crazy guy. All of a sudden, those idols of Baal start speaking and you start thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, Lord. And God's going, you said you would. You said yes. It's in that place. It's in that place. We've got to start to realize, am I the man of valor, God, you've called me to be? Is this important to me? God, are what you're saying, is that important to me? That's when it's tough. That's when it's tough. When someone stands before you and says that, that Christianity is ridiculous or it's, or it's this or it's that and you start thinking, how do, I, how do I keep relationship and love this person but also how do I stay strong on who I am and what I believe? How do I navigate this ever-changing world with these ever-changing rules? We always go back to God, what did you ask me to do? What did you ask me to do in that time? Psalm 115, 4 to 8 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. But do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust them. The idols that we're fighting in the contemporary age today are not statues that we can go and lasso and pull down. They are spirits over nations and over people that God is asking us to get on your knees and to pray against a spirit that's moving in a city. You know, in this city, we have one of the highest levels of domestic violence. And I've been in a few meetings over the last few weeks about how we can help and what we can do. And I came to this conclusion that really wasn't my conclusion. It was just Paul's conclusion where he says, all things are spiritual. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. So how do we beat domestic violence in the city? Right here. On our knees. Lord, break that thing. Jesus, break that thing. Jesus, we declare your kingdom, we declare your kingdom, we declare your kingship, we declare your kingship. You are king, you are king, you are king, you are Lord, you are Lord, you are Lord. Why? Because his name is power. His name brings about change to a city. His name is what rips down the idols. That's what God was asking Gideon to do. That's what he's asking you and I to do. Will you be an effector of change in a nation that's lost and hurting? Will you be an effector of change in your, your family life, in your home environment, in your work environment, in your, your, uh, your, your spheres, wherever it is you go? Will you be an effector of change? Will you stand up against the idols of, idols of Baal? Everything we do, we do to rip down the idols of Baal, and to rebuild the altar of Yahweh. 
to rebuild the place of worship to God, to rebuild where it is we worship Him and how it is we worship Him. That's what the Christian faith is all about, ripping down the idols of Baal and rebuilding altar, the altar to the Lord. The first thing that God does in the city is He says, go in, remove the idols and plant an altar to my name. Why? So the people can come and worship and glorify me. Because in that place of worship and glorification, I'll change a city. In that place, I'll change a nation. And from that place, I'll change the outermost parts of the, of the world. But if there's no altar, and if there still remains idols, then I can't move through the people that are there. How do we do this? God, like Gideon, he increases our faith. He increases our ability to step into the unknown and to trust Him. He increases our ability to know the things that He's called us to do and without hesitation to step into that. Gideon, the man who was hiding in in the store with his food, who had to go at night time to remove the, the idols from Baal. He didn't go during the day because he feared that if he went during the day, he would be killed before he got the opportunity. He quietly, in the night, he went. The man of valor quietly went and removed the idol. In that place, God increases his faith. He rips down the idols of Baal. He builds an altar to Yahweh where in a city where no one wanted it. He gathers an army of 32,000 men he goes into battle with only 300. He has the heads cut off of the leaders of the Midianites. He rids the land of the Midianites for Israel. This is Gideon, the man who didn't think that he would be able to. The smallest man in his family, the least of all of those, achieves that much good. Why? Because God was with him all the time. He realized Gideon you can't do this. Gideon goes, God, I can't do this. He goes, but I can. Open your hand. I can. Open your hand. Let me do it. But I've got to do it through you. See, God wants to do it through us. A good friend of mine used to always say, I never understand why God just doesn't take all the oxygen out of the earth for just a 30 seconds and then say, I am God and drop it back in. And then everyone goes, okay, we know who he is. Right, that, we go, yeah, that'd be awesome, that makes sense. Except for the fact that that's not loving. That's not who he is. That's not the nature. He actually enjoys to work hand on hand with you. He actually enjoys watching a son make a decision that honors and glorifies the father. He actually enjoys watching Mao sit across the table from someone who doesn't have a home or who is struggling or is in a bad place. He actually enjoys being with him in that time because he gets to see the sun grow. He gets to see us step into who we are. He gets to see Gideon, the man who was timid and shrieked back and said, I'm the smallest, go and do massive exploits. He says, I always knew, Gideon, that you would. I always knew, Gideon, you would. Like a father that sees a son. I remember when I was when I was studying, when I was doing my first degree, and I, I had a moment where I was just done. I was spent, I was writing a paper that was ridiculous, it made no sense, and I was just waffling on. And it was a three and a half thousand word paper, and I had about a thousand words, and I felt just beat. And I rang my dad, I said, Dad, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm done. I'm going to pack up and I'll go and work at Macca's. I'm pretty good at that. And I'll just work at Macca's for the rest of my life. 
And I remember my dad encouraging me. And then when I finished, he, he told me that story back. He said, you weren't going to do it, but I knew you could. See, as a father, he gets to watch a son do the unthinkable, do the thing that even the son didn't think that he could do. That's what God sees in us when we step into a place where we don't think we can achieve it. And God goes, I always knew you could, Gideon. You man of valor, I saw it from the very day you were born. I saw before you were even there, I saw that you were a man of valor. If you listen to me and you stay with me, I will do mighty things. But still, Gideon doesn't think that he can do it. Still, he... Fruit fly, I'm telling you. Something weird going on. It's a long story. But I've had a fruit fly following me all week. It's insane. I'm not joking. It's it's, it's just, let's let's not go there. Stay here. I don't know. Or it's rotten. No. Speak against it. Name the Lord. (laughs) Gideon, Judges 6. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying out a fleece of wool on the fleshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. God, I don't believe you quite. I do a little bit, but I need to see something again. He's already seen the food get burnt up on the altar. Now he wants to see a fleece be turned, put water on it. God says, okay, Gideon, I'll do it for you. I'll show you. He reveals it to him. Then Gideon goes, God, that was exactly what I asked. Fantastic. But, but, Can I see a little bit more? Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. God, please show me one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and all of the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and all the ground was dew. See, God doesn't get angry at us asking him to reveal it again and again. But I'll tell you where we lose heart is that if we get those two times where God reveals it, two or more witnesses, and then we walk away. See, if Gideon had have got that second expression of a second witness, if he had have shown this is me and then another witness to reveal it, this is me, and then all of a sudden he walked away, that would have been the time when God would have said, Gideon, you disobeyed me. You acted in rebellion from me. See, oftentimes people will bring us a word and Jess and I have been prayed for many times and had many words brought over us and there's some where I've been like, whoa, that's weird very unusual and I'll go home and I'll pray God if this is you give me a second account give me a second witness give me a second example of this thinking to myself there's no way that's going to happen because that's very weird and then all of a sudden boom someone out of the blue completely different spheres of influence comes forward and says Ben I feel God saying this to you and in that place I have a decision to make do I listen to what I ask God for the revelation of a second or do I walk away in rebellion See, it's not bad 
It's actually what wisdom to ask God to reveal it a second time to you, to reveal it because where there's two or more witnesses that there can be agreement in, it's actually wisdom, which is what Gideon was doing. But it's when we get to the second, um, the second time that it's revealed to us where we decide, actually, God, still now, I'm not going to go ahead and do it. It's like when you're standing in, in line at the grocery store and you hear something drop in your spirit where you, you hear God tell you pay for the person's groceries in front of you and you're standing there and you go, ah, oh, that wasn't you, God. You give me something else and I'll, and, and I'll do it. And then all of a sudden the lady swipes her card and it doesn't work. And then you're in a place. Oh, I asked for a second sign. I asked for something again. Now I have a decision to make. I tested you, God. I asked for you to reveal it. You've now revealed it. Now I get the choice. Do I be a son or do I act in rebellion? That's what Gideon did. I get the choice of ask for a second revelation. You've given it to me. Do I act like a son or do I act in rebellion? Sometimes it's really easy. You just pay for the lady's groceries. But sometimes God is asking us to call 32,000 men and go to war. Will I act like a son or will I act in rebellion? I need 10 more minutes. Is that okay? I want to finish this because I, I feel like Mal's giving me seven. I'll do it in seven. It's okay. God is going to ask you. Quick little sidebar, free one I'll throw out there. If someone's given you a prophetic word, that is an invitation for you to go back to God. If someone reveals something to you in, in prophecy, that doesn't mean that you should marry that guy or gal or pack your bags and go to Africa. It might mean that. But God will slowly reveal it to you. God is not in a hurry. You don't have to say, well, someone told me this, I have to go do it. No, God's not. He doesn't need to happen right now. Give that time like Gideon did. Give that time for a second witness to reveal something. And then you can start to go, okay, maybe there's some validity to this thing that keeps coming my way. And look, sometimes, myself included, we act in that rebellion and God tells us 30 times until all of a sudden he's screaming it at you. And you go, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't listen. Okay, God sends Gideon. Calls the people. He says, Gideon, go out, make a call out to Gideon, the man who didn't have very much, who wasn't a very big guy, the least of his family. He goes out, he makes a call out to all the people. Now, obviously, God was working through all the people that come because 32,000 men come to aid Gideon in the battle to rid them of the Midianites. Why they chose to, to, follow, to follow Gideon is because God went before him and readied their hearts so that they could go and follow a man. But then God, Gideon brings all these people people in and judges 7 2 god says to gideon the people with you are too many for me to give the midianites into their hand lest israel boast over me saying my hand has saved me sometimes god acts in a way that is so outrageous that nobody can say i did that Nobody can say that was by my strength because he acts in a way that reveals the heart of the Father. The only person that we can give the glory to is God. There's so many options, so many times in my life where I've gone, there's no way that was anything but God. 
There is no way God acts like this because sometimes in our pride, we want to build the big thing. We want, to, we want to gather all the people and then say, hey, I did that. Oh, God did it with me, but I did it. No, God gets the glory for all the exploits that we do. For everything that takes place, God will be glorified. So he says to Gideon, Gideon, there's too many. You're going to fight the Midianites, 32,000. When in war, when in war is too many men an issue? Gideon must have been heartbroken by this to say, God, you, you have to be kidding. You have to be kidding. Too many men. We're going to go into battle. This is something that you hate. He says, it's too many. Gideon has to step further into faith to say, you want me to go into battle with less? He says, yeah. The first thing, Judges 3, 7, we're going to remove two types of people. The first one, he says, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 left and 10 remained. The first thing he issued, the first thing he says, you can't come with me into battle is if you are fearful. 22,000, more than half leave. God's saying, I've got a big exploit for you. But if you're carrying fear in your heart, you can't come. Why? Because fear is the opposite of what God wants us to operate in, which is love. God says, sorry, Jesus, uh, Ben, you'll get it right here in a minute. 1 John 4.18 says that love drives out fear. So where there is fear, there is no love. God needed the people who were going into battle to operate from his place of love. He's saying if there's no love in this battle, we won't win. So the first thing he says when he's going to bring about a revival is he says everyone with fear must go back to where they've come from. Everyone with fear who's going to operate in a place that is not my place cannot fight this fight with me. More than half leave. He then says in Judges 7, 5 to 7, so he brought the people, uh, sorry, he then says in Judges 7, 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this well shall not go with you, shall not. He brought them down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, let the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to, to Gideon, With the three hundred men who have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. He, he again, he dissects the people by saying those who don't use their hand to drink, send them home. Understanding the prophetic pictures that get drawn through the Old Testament, a hand is often referred to as a picture for the heart. A concave vessel, something that carries liquids, that carries water, is a picture of the heart. What, Jesus, what God is saying to Gideon is to those who don't have their heart in the right place cannot come into the battle with me. For those that don't position themselves with their heart in the right place, who make it about them and not about him, cannot come into battle with me. Why? Because at the end of the battle, there's only one name that remains. Yahweh. There's one name that remains. But if, you're, if you have fear in your heart, 
or your heart's not in the right place, then God cannot take you into the battle that he's asking you to take you into. I don't have to make a reference about the size. We know that. We've heard that so many times. God doesn't need this place to be bursting with people in order to achieve the exploits that he has us to do. One man, two men, three women, men, I'm using men as interchangeable there, but, but one person, two or three people is plenty enough for God. He uses one person, Gideon, to change an entire nation. Sometimes, sometimes we think, my ministry is too small, my this is too small, my voice is not big enough, my this is not that enough. But God says, if you do it with me, I will create exploits that will change the nation. If you do it with me, I will create exploits that change the nation. Gideon finishes the story. Obviously, he goes, he gets the W, cuts all the heads off all the Midianites. He brings Israel into the place. And the Israelites say to him, the Israelites bring him in and say, Gideon, rule over us. Become our king. Become our king and you can rule. Gideon had the opportunity to say, yes, I will be king. And then my son after me and his son after him. But Gideon responds with this in Judges 8.23. I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. What God was positioning for Gideon was that the only name that will be left will be my name. And then he gets to the end of the story and Gideon says, the only name left is not Gideon, it's Yahweh. That's what he's asking for us in this time. That's what he's positioning us into. It's that we will come into a place where Gideon, where, where the, those like Gideon will arise to take back the ground that has been laid before. Now, I said that at the beginning, there was two ways to look at Gideon hiding in the wine press. And I want to go back just for a moment because the wine press where Gideon was is a very interesting picture. The wine press speaks of the hidden place with God, the secret place. And the seed speaks of the words of God. So Gideon, in a time of trial, in a time of separation, in a nation and a city that didn't want to know Yahweh, Gideon is hiding in the secret place, treading out the word of God. He called Gideon from the secret place with him. And from that, it made him a man of valor. Gideon knew who God was because he was hiding in a secret place with him. At times, in the places that we're in now, God is calling the Gideons of this generation who have been in the winepress treading out the seed with him, who have been in a secret place rolling through his words, understanding who he is. God is calling a generation and a people of Gideons who have been in the secret place with him. Why? Because they will operate in a place that says Yahweh is the only name that remains when the victory is won. That when this city starts screaming the name Jesus, it won't be, oh, that was Ben and Dave and what they put together. It will be the name Yahweh that is, is written in lights. It will be that Jesus came. We don't know where it started. We don't know who did it. It was the move of God that just cleansed the place. And the only king that's left is Jesus. The only king that gets left is Jesus. 
I want to finish with this. Ten minutes. I didn't get the seven. I apologize, Malcolm. (laughs) I started this whole sermon with a picture of faith. The author of Hebrews explains what faith is. He then goes through and he labels all the heroes of faith. And I said at the beginning, you can start to read through that and you can really be challenged by these heroes. But the real challenge lies here, that after he's listed all these heroes of faith, he then goes on to say this in Hebrews 12, 1 verse 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. When we hear the story of Abraham, Gideon, Enoch, Moses, all these amazing men who, who achieved these massive exploits, exploits, they were living in the promise of Jesus Christ. They were living in the promise of a victory. But this side of the cross, in our contemporary culture, we live in the victory of Jesus Christ. We live in the victory of the cross. That should challenge us to our core because they were able to achieve so much with the promise that we struggle to achieve from the victory. All this has been won for us. We are winning. There's a a guy who has a book and it's called, the book's called It's Rigged in Our Favour because he's essentially saying that the Christian walk is rigged in our favor, that we, we, we operate from a place of victory. Does that mean there's still battles? Yes. Does that mean it's still difficult? Yes. But we live in a place where we're not hoping that Jesus comes. We're living in a place that he has already come, already established a victory, and we live from that place. So when we read these stories, when we hear about Gideon, and we go, but God, that was easy for Gideon. He was in a time. It was in a time where it was all about you. There wasn't so much around. It wasn't this, there wasn't that. Gideon's looking forward at us as a cloud of witness going, do you know what you've got in your tool bag? Do you know who you are? Do you know what's been given unto you? I hope that challenges you because it challenges me. While I'm sitting in the grocery store asking, should I really pay for the lady's groceries in front of me? And Gideon's going, right, how do I tear down the statue that's going to definitely get me killed if anyone knows that it was me? Now, yes, God's going to call us into bigger and bigger places. But what we have to remember is, Lord, from your place of victory, I live. From your place of victory, I act. From your place of victory, I can be that man or woman of valor. I can act as you've asked me to act. I can achieve as you've asked me to achieve. Does that make sense? Is that okay? Let's stand. Father, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to understand the importance of your kingdom. 
Help us to understand the importance of your will. Jesus, help us to understand just what it is that you want to achieve through us. Lord, help us to get out of the way so that your will can be done. Lord, help us be Gideons in our own right. God, help us step into that prophetic call in that act of valor that you're calling into us to act courageously, to act with hope in our hearts, to act with love in our hearts, even though we don't want to love the person who stands across from us. Lord, help us to see it your way. Jesus, help us to live from the place of victory that your cross brought us into. That Jesus, what your cross finished for us should be the place in which we are empowered to live out our lives. God, help us to encourage one another in who you've asked us to be. Help us to love one another like you love. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we honor you so much. We glorify your name because you are worthy, because you are good. Have your way in us, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that there is a generation of Gideons that arises, that there are people who stand for your faith and kingdom, that they stand against the idols of Baal, that they stand against the idols of this world, the things that have been built by man. They stand against the things that aren't for you, Lord. I take the muzzle off those who haven't been able to speak, Lord, in your name, Jesus, right now. God, we ask that you help us listen to the voices that are younger than us to hear the voices that are older than us, to hear your voice through all of those who are around us and in us, that we can hear your voice, Jesus, wherever we are, in everything that we do, through the screams of a baby, in the quiet of, of a stream. Lord, let us hear your voice in every place that we operate. God, I thank you for who you are. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation, Lord. You are the ruler and reigner of us. You are the king and the holy one, Jesus. We worship you, we honor you, and God, we glorify your beautiful name. Thank you, Lord, that you came and died for us, that you rose again, that you ascended on high, and that you have a plan to bring this all in to your perfection. God, we love you, we honor you, and in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.